Good morning. Will you, stand, will you please stand with me in the honor of reading of God's word? This morning's scripture will come from Galatians 1, 6 through 10 in ESV. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who, who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thank you, Cody. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Springs. Shout out to all you guys looking great. Uh, family in, in town visiting, welcome. We have a few uh, special visitors uh, uh, from our school of campus ministry. Caitlin Danson, come on in. And we have some, some Jasmine, uh, a missionary to Houston. Uh, this week, missionaries uh, from all over the region are, are, are gathering for a, a two-day cluster to be refreshed and refilled. And it's going to be a sweet time that we get to host them. So welcome to all. Brittany Martinez. Shout out to you. Welcome to all you guys in the room. Uh, what a special Sunday. Well, we are in week two of our sermon series uh, through the book of Galatians. And, and what we've been doing is we're, we're sort of taking this slow journey through the ancient scriptures to see how they, they speak to our modern day life. And, and Paul has a lot to say about some critical subjects of the faith that if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to be well-versed in and rooted. He, he speaks about things like freedom and, and what does it look like to be free in Christ. And he has a lot to say about grace and the gospel, all which are foundational to the life of a follower of Jesus. And those are the ideas that we're going to be unpacking over the next few weeks. And so uh, today we've made ourselves our, 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 our way to verse 6. So it's, it's a pretty slow journey. It might pick up in a couple weeks. We'll see. Uh, and we're looking at verses 6 through 10. And I want to read it just one more time. And I even want to invite you to look at this word with me. And so uh, one of our core values here is the word. We love the word of God, the physical word of God. Uh, there was a day and age where, where having access to one of these Bibles uh, wasn't a reality. And, and, and people, men and women, have paid a very high price so that we can hold this word for ourselves and look at it. And so I want to invite you, if you own a Bible, bring it. If you don't own one, if you want to shoot up your hand, we're going to put a Bible in your hand. So I'm going to, uh, if you need a Bible, uh, go ahead and shoot up your hand. And my man Thomas is going to put one in there. One last call. All right, cool. Well, let's look at this word together. It says this, I am astonished that, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul says, not that there is another one, but there are some who, who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should, should preach to you a gospel that is contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man 
or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. With the remaining time we have together, uh, we're going to walk through two points, two scenes that will help us unpack this text. The first one is moving quickly, and the second one is slow down. If you're taking notes, moving quickly and slow down. Let's pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name. And we're just so thankful that, that we, you, you've brought us to May 1st. What, what, a, what a beautiful reality this is. It feels like the year is moving by so fast and yet so slow. And, and through it all, every single day of this year, we know one thing for certain is that you've been with us, carrying us and sustaining us, transforming us from one degree of glory to another. And so, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and rest upon us and work transformation in our heart, soul, and mind today. In Jesus' name, amen. First scene, moving quickly. Uh, I want you to turn on your, your imagination switch in your brain if you have one. Put on your goggles if you're ready. And I want you to imagine this with me, uh, that you've just been appointed as the spiritual leader of a small Hebrew nation called Israel. And, uh, and, and God saw you, and he chose you, and you are worthy. You're up there up, uh, uh, with Moses, and you've been appointed uh, to be leading this nation. But where you find this nation in this point of history is that Israel is oppressed by a bigger, more powerful nation called Egypt. And for 430 years, this community of Israelites are living in a foreign land. Now, uh, things weren't always too bad. For a very small period of time, things were actually good. Uh, the Israelites enjoyed some sort of harmonious relationship with the Egyptians, but that was short-lived because all of a sudden there arose an insecure leader and his name is Pharaoh. Say Pharaoh with me. Come on, participation. And Pharaoh, who was insecure and operated out of this place of fear, uh, believed that this community of Israelites would grow to be a powerful nation that would eventually lock arms with the enemy, neighboring enemies, and overthrow him and take his seat of power. So operating from a place of fear and insecurity, he comes up with this evil plan. And, and we can read about it in Exodus 1. He, he says essentially that he's going to oppress this nation. That he's going to uh, treat them so cruelly that their spirits are going to be broken and he's going to crush their hopes for any taste of freedom. And he's going to make them feel so powerless that, that, that any idea of freedom, any idea of escape would be beyond them. And he does just that. Uh, he enacts this demonic agenda to oppress a people group by afflicting them with heavy burdens. And this is how it says in Exodus 1, 13 through 14. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they, ruth they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And this was the reality. This was the condition that the Israelites were living in, working as slaves, uh, oppressed. All their hopes are crushed. Freedom isn't a reality. And one thing that's important to notice is that what the Bible describes is not necessarily what the Bible endorses. Uh, the Bible describes here a picture of slavery, but that's not the vision for life that God has in mind when he created the world. God's vision for a thriving humanity never once considered slavery and oppression of other people groups to be the means by which a flourishing world is created. No, this is the byproduct of sinful hearts corrupted by power, 
greed, fear, and insecurity. And in fact, the picture of God that we see in the scripture is one of a personal father who is outraged, angry by the extreme outworkings of sin in a person's heart that is causing them to afflict other image bearers. So much so that uh, Exodus two twenty three through 25 says this, During these many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard the groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Verse 25, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Did you see that? God hears the groans of his people. God remembers his faithfulness and his love towards his people. God sees exactly what they're going through and God knows exactly what he needs to do to deliver them and bring them to freedom. I love how one author says, Maxie Dunham, he says this, every blow of the hand that buffets you, every cut of the scourge, every scorching hour under the noontide sun, every lonely hour when lovers and friends stand aloof, Every step into the valley of shadow of death, every moment of sleep beneath the juniper tree is watched by the eyes that never slumber nor sleep. God hears, God remembers, God sees, and God knows. And God, when it says new, it it describes this personal experience of, of being acquainted with their suffering. That when his people hurt, he hurts. When his people suffer, he feels that suffering. It's not this far off idea. It's that God personally knows what they're going through and he knows exactly what they need. So what do they need? A deliverer. Someone to come rescue them from the condition of sin and the reality that they're living in. And so God just does just that. He, he raises up a deliverer, a rescuer from among the afflicted to be used by God to deliver this small Hebrew nation from slavery and move them into freedom with God. And so long story short, through a series of miraculous events, beginning with the birth of Moses, God sets in a plan uh, in motion to set his people free. And this plan included very specific miracles, plagues over Egypt that were intended to get Pharaoh's attention and and motivate him to set the Israelites free as he witnesses God's power at work. And yet, you know the story, Pharaoh refuses to let God's people go. So God personally escorts the Israelites to freedom. He, he parts the Red Sea through Moses so that they could cross turbulent waters in their escape from Egypt unharmed. He brought them out of slavery, affliction, hard work, and a bitter lifestyle. And he brings them into a new covenant, a new story, a new beginning, a new nation. A nation that would be governed by God and upheld by God and his law. They were once in Egypt, afflicted oppressed, experiencing violence and torture. And now they have been set free. And so Moses, the spiritual leader, is called up by God. And the story goes that he's up this mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, face to face with God. And what's happening during this time is that God begins to share with Moses how this nation, how this people group should now function. 
Now that they're removed from this old reality, what does this new story, what does this new beginning look like? What's going to be the foundation, the boundaries for this relationship? And so Moses and God begin to converse and, and God begins to reveal his word, this, this word that we have in the Old Testament. And Moses begins writing it down and, and then God begins to show Moses the blueprints for this holy tabernacle, a place where God's presence would come and reside and God and his people would dwell together. Can you imagine that? 40 days, 40 nights, face to face with God. Him talking to you, you talking to him back, writing it down. You seeing a vision that he has for this nation that includes flourishing and thriving and goodness and love. And so filled with so much joy, filled with so much hope for the future, it was time for Moses to go back down and share the good news of what God's kingdom is going to look like for this freshly uh, freed people. It's time to go down and hand deliver them the Ten Commandments to show them God's vision for Israel. Hey, life was really bad back then, but I just saw this, this unity, this harmony of us living in relationship with God. And this is what happens next. Remember, Moses was gone for a total of 40 days and 40 nights. Exodus 32, 1 through 8. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, the number two, and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off your rings of gold that are uh, in your ears and your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. And so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And, And he received the gold from their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow we shall feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose to play. This is the Mexican cookout right here. I know this for sure. Right, Abraham? That's true. Yes, sir. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have just turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Did that just happen? Did they really just fashion for themselves a man-made God out of melted gold and give it credit for leading them out of slavery and bringing them safely into freedom? Did that just happen? When it was clear as day that it was God's hand that parted the Red Sea, there was no golden calf there. When it was clear as day that it was God moving in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, it was clear as day that it was God powerfully rescuing them from slavery. And now, 40 days and 40 nights later, they lose sight of who God is and what he's done and who gets his credit for this miraculous rescue. A golden calf, a man-made object that represents one of the Egyptian gods. Did that just happen? 
And Moses is coming down from this mountain excited, filled with hope, envisioning a future with Israel that's marked by freedom in God's presence. And this is what he arrives to. He arrives to this awkward situation. And what he finds is a people have quickly abandoned their God. A people who've been set free return to bondage by bowing down to an Egyptian God. And how did this happen? Why does this happen? Exodus 32 verse 7 gives us some insight. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. If you're taking notes, write down that word, corrupt. They have become corrupt. Now, corruption takes on several different forms. We all have ideas and images of what corruption looks like. Some of the the best movies are sort of targeting this tension of corruption and and overthrowing corrupt policies and people. We can point uh, fingers to a thousand different places and say, that's a prime example of corruption. But when the Old Testament talks about corruption and it uses the word corrupt, the main idea that is being communicated is this, choosing to go your own way. This is the Old Testament idea of what it means to be corrupt. When you see that word corrupt, it's always used in this context. What does it mean to be corrupt? Or what does it mean to be corrupted? It means you've departed from God's way and you have chosen to go your own way, disregarding what God says to do or not to do. And that's the image of corruption that that we see in this passage of Scripture that we just read. A, A group of people have formulated their own plan. Worse, they formulated their own version of God and they have chosen to go their own way. Verse eight, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. Now, why does this happen? And and though this is an ancient example, a thousand years later, we would find the apostle Paul, the church planting missionary, experienced the exact same thing. Uh, Paul, he didn't come down from a mountain, but he did have this powerful encounter with the risen Jesus. And he planted these churches uh, from the result of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, that God in the person of Christ has purchased for us our freedom by paying the price of our sins through his death on the cross. And now you and I can be free from the power and mastery sin has over us. Colossians say we've been relocated. Maybe you're not in Egypt, but you were in a kingdom of darkness that he has delivered you into a kingdom of light. And we've been free to enjoy relationship that isn't hindered by sin or dictated by our best performance. And Paul preaches this good news and things take off in this region of Galatia. So much so that churches start popping off everywhere. And they start off so strong. And just a few years later, two, three, four, scholars speculate, not too long. We find Paul saying this to this people group. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Did you see the connection? Exodus 32 eight. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I've commanded them. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, who has delivered you, who has shown you your, he's faithful and has brought about new life. I'm astonished. 
And what we hate to admit, church, is that this experience is far too common. We choose to go our own way, not slowly, quickly. And what we see from these two passages of scriptures that I want to point out to you is that there are a few circumstances that will motivate you to go your own way. That there are a few specific circumstances that will pull at your heart so quickly that you will be blazing past God's will for your life. And these four circumstances I want us to be made aware of so that we can remain faithful to King Jesus. The first one is delays. The second is boredom. The third is crisis. And the fourth is distorted truth. Write these down with me. Delays, boredom, crisis, and distorted truth. When we look at Exodus 32.1, it says this. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, up, make us gods who shall go before us. Because all the neighboring nations have gods for them that, that fulfill them and protect them and satisfy them. And we're not going to be a people group without a God. We don't know where Moses is. Make us one that we can bow down and worship. And Aaron does just that. And there's this temptation. There's this tendency that when we feel that, that God is delayed, or that we're delayed. Nothing makes us move so quickly to choose our own way than not realizing that God's timing is actually best. But when we believe that our timing is better, we find ourselves in this position, this place where we corrupt God's plan for our life. When we feel like the promotion is delayed, when we feel like the, the business isn't taking off at the rate or the speed that we thought it would, what do we begin to do? Maybe we compromise values. Maybe we compromise our work ethic and we cut corners and we do whatever we can to rise up this corporate ladder to get what's mine. After all, I'm going to go my own way. Uh, when it feels like it's taking a little bit longer to start a family than anticipated, when it feels like it's taking a little bit longer to, to build a relationship and start a marriage and, and build a home, uh, we feel delayed. And what do we do? We turn aside so quickly and say, if God's not working out for me, I'm going to do it my own way. And instead of bowing down to King Jesus and waiting on him and trusting that he's good, we choose to go our own way. When breakthrough is delayed and you feel in the same cycle of sin that you were last year or the year before and you thought to yourself at the beginning of the year, this is going to be my year and I'm going to experience freedom like I've never had before and yet you're still in that place and you feel delayed. Nothing will make you turn aside so quickly like doubting that, man, is God really at work in this? What's the temptation to move quickly? To, it's to forge a solution, to make something out of gold. Uh, it looks like going our own way to figure life out because God seems to be gone way too long and I'm not going to wait one more day for him. And if it's not delays that's causing us to turn aside quickly, it's boredom. Uh, if you really want to know what you worship and what your heart is after, uh, audit your life. Where do you turn to when you're bored? What do you do when you're bored? What do you, what do you pick up? What do you look at when you're bored? That will reveal to you what your heart really worships and finds pleasure and satisfaction in. And the hard reality is that when we don't feel satisfied by God, when we don't feel stimulated by God, we turn aside quickly. 
to easy, cheap, fast pleasures, endlessly scrolling, endlessly making plans because we can't stand the thought of being lonely, endlessly looking for something to satisfy, jumping from one thing to another. Moses was taking too long. We're bored. Let's do our own thing. And they rose up early the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose to play. You see, God is not opposed to you eating, drinking, and playing. He's just opposed to you doing these things in a way that would further enslave you than set you free. Thirdly, the most common circumstances that causes one to turn aside is crisis. Personal crisis. Hardship. Feeling the stress of life and wondering, will things ever get better? Waking up and dreading starting the day because you know what awaits you and there's no hope for a better tomorrow. Tragedy. Witnessing a world so fallen that you wonder, is God at work in all of this? And if it's not hardship and it's not tragedy, then it's loss. The painful experience of losing a loved one and seeing a life end way too early. And these experiences of crisis cause the heart to turn so quickly because deep down inside church, we all want to seek refuge. We all want to experience stability. We all want to have answers. And if we're not running to the the Lord, then we'll turn aside quickly to distorted truth. You see, unlike the Israelites, the Galatians, they, they weren't being led astray by false gods, but by false teachers. Uh, But the outcome, however, is always the same. You see, hearts that aren't fully submitted to the lordship of Christ will wander towards other gods and empty promises. And and for the Galatians, this is what Paul called a false gospel, a, a distorted version of the true gospel. If the true gospel is that through faith in Jesus, we can enter into a relationship with God because Jesus has reconciled us and redeemed us through his death on the cross that has served as an atonement for our sins. What this means for you and I is that you no longer have to justify yourself. You no longer have to prove yourself worthy. You no longer have to take your hands and work to build a ladder that would get you closer to God. Those endless ways of justifying yourself have been ended. No longer do you need to present God your best moral behavior. Those physical things will not help you cross over into spiritual life with God. Rather, we're saved and rescued because of his grace. But crisis begins to sneak in, uh, uh, trouble begins to overcome you, and you're looking for a quick fix and satisfaction and a way out. And this happened in the early church, where this distorted truth, this false gospel began to sneak in via false teachers. And this is what they said. Hey, if you really want to be loved by God, if you really want to be accepted by God, if you really want to be right with God, you're going to have to do a little bit more than just have faith in Jesus. Here, I'll show you. Here's the word. And this crisis and and this distorted truth uh, grabbed root in people's hearts and began to lead them astray from the gospel of grace. And what's so interesting about crisis and distorted truth is that they're two synchronized dancers. Uh, they, they, They work in unison and they take your hand and try to carry you away from God. They are the two main reasons, I believe, why we choose to quickly go our own way. These two pairs work so well together. Think about it. A soul that is experiencing crisis 
is the most vulnerable to distorted truth. A soul that is experiencing crisis is the most vulnerable to distorted truth. You know this. I know this. That when we feel pain, we we desperately want to flee it. So we're open to any gospel. We're open to any form of news that could make this immediate situation feel good. When we're hurting and discouraged, we we look for some way of life that can take take away the, the hurt and pain. When we're scared and we're insecure and overcome by fear, we are more open than ever to Jesus plus something else for rescue and stability because Jesus doesn't seem sufficient by himself. Jesus maybe worked out for a season, but we begin to believe maybe it's time to seek something new. And this church that we're reading about in Galatia that we're going to unpack in more depth in the coming weeks was led astray by false teachers who, who said something like this, Jesus, you can have them, but we're culturally Jewish, so you're going to have to do what we do. Old Testament laws, observe them. Ceremonial laws, observe it. Food practices and circumcision, practice it. And those two, Jesus plus Old Testament ceremonial laws and practices equal salvation. But Paul reminds them something significant and powerful. He says, you don't need Moses, you need Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled the law on your behalf. But there's this desperate need to justify yourself that we all experience. There's this desperate desire to earn your seat at the table and show the world, look at me. I'm beautiful, I'm awesome, I'm worthy. See what I've accomplished. Will you accept me? Because deep down we feel this, this tension in our heart where we're fighting to justify ourselves, to earn God's approval. But the good news of the kingdom of God is this. As one author has said, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That, that, That you don't need Jesus plus your best efforts. You don't need Jesus plus your best moral behavior. You don't need Jesus plus your worst behavior. You just need Jesus. And it's his grace and our faith in him that connects us to relationship and life with God. This is the good news of the kingdom of God, church. If you feel the weight of these circumstances at work in your heart, tempting you to turn aside quickly, hear me, because this is for you. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. God operates independent of your circumstances, but he can powerfully work through them. The good news of the kingdom of God is that God operates independent of your circumstances, but he can powerfully work through them. In other words, our feelings of delay and boredom and crisis does not stop God from being God. And the circumstances that may turn, that that may tempt us to turn away quickly and find refuge and stability in something or someone else can be pathways to deeper relationship with God if we allow ourselves to Slow down. Slow down to consider the faithfulness and sufficiency of Christ. Slowing down to allow God to meet us in this place where we feel delayed or we feel bored or we feel overcome with crisis and false truth and let his power and presence meet us and begin to minister to us and work something in us that we couldn't do on our own. You see, the good news of the kingdom of God, church, is that Jesus shows us that your feeling of being delayed doesn't delay the king of kings. 
And he is still powerfully at work in your life, even when it feels that things are taking longer than expected. Consider the sufficiency and faithfulness of Jesus when a well-known Jewish leader named Jairus approaches Jesus in Mark chapter 6 and begs him, please come visit my daughter because she's on the verge of dying. And Jesus, who will not be rushed and is neither delayed, takes a little bit longer than expected to get to Jairus' house because on the way there, he heals a woman who's been afflicted with this internal crippling health issue for 12 years. And Jairus, who is frantic, pleading to Jesus to move on, just receives news that his daughter has just passed away. Jesus takes his time. The good news of the kingdom of God is that he operates independent of our circumstances. So Jesus heads over to the house and raises his daughter from the dead. Slowing down to remember and consider the faithfulness and sufficiency of Christ. Delays can be pathways to deeper relationship with God if we allow ourselves to slow down to consider the faithfulness and sufficiency of Christ. Consider Jesus who shows us that boredom and apathy can be a deeper pathway to relationship with God and and, and not a motivation that causes us to turn aside quickly. Jesus himself shows us that that through the mundane and through the ordinary that we can be truly satisfied and experience pleasure and joy and meaning and identity and purpose that is life giving that comes from being in relationship with God. So regardless of what this world gives or what this world takes away, we can be satisfied in Christ. Jesus shows us that crisis A crisis as wrongful as his trial and execution on the cross can give way to future glory. Jesus shows us that that when the enemy and sin and the broken systems of the world intended evil and death, God can powerfully work through it and use it for our good. And when it feels like the world is falling apart and when it feels like we're crippled with doubt and feeling fragile, Jesus shows us that the word of God is sufficient and that it's true and and that it's able to lead us away from temptation and into a life of victory as we see him do so in the wilderness. See, the good news of the kingdom of God is that when you feel delayed, when you feel bored, When there's a crisis and you want to give yourself over to distorted truth, that God hears you, he sees you, he remembers, and he knows. And he makes available for you his presence that is truly satisfying and life-giving. This church is an invitation. What is tempting you this morning, this week, to turn aside quickly? As you consider your life, what is pulling at your heart that is trying to take away your attention from the Lord? Is it feeling delayed and a life goal or a life issue? Is it, is it feeling bored? Like, man, maybe this God thing doesn't work out for me anymore. Is there a crisis that you just can't get a grip on and you feel like there's no hope for tomorrow? Or are you just overcome by these false ideas of Jesus? Wherever you find yourself, Jesus invites you this morning to slow down and find rest in him. 
How do you need Jesus this morning to remind you that he is faithful and sufficient? He wants to do so. Come, slow down, and find rest in Jesus. Let's pray.